The Law School of America In law, standing or locus standi is a condition that a party seeking a legal remedy must show they have, by demonstrating to the court, sufficient connection to and harm from the law or action challenged to support that party's participation in the case. A party has standing in the following situations. The party is directly subject to an adverse effect by the statute or action in question, and the harm suffered will continue unless the court grants relief in the form of damages or a finding that the law either does not apply to the party or that the law is void or can be nullified. This is called the something-to-lose doctrine, in which the party has standing because they will be directly harmed by the conditions for which they are asking the court for relief. The party is not directly harmed by the conditions by which they are petitioning the court for relief but asks for it because the harm involved has some reasonable relation to their situation, and the continued existence of the harm may affect others who might not be able to ask a court for relief. In the United States, this is the grounds for asking for a law to be struck down as violating the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, because while the plaintiff might not be directly affected, the law might so adversely affect others that one might never know what was not done or created by those who fear they would become subject to the law. This is known as the chilling effects doctrine. The party is granted automatic standing by act of law. Under some environmental laws in the United States, a party may sue someone causing pollution to certain waterways without a federal permit, even if the party suing is not harmed by the pollution being generated. The law allows the plaintiff to receive attorney's fees if they substantially prevail in the action. In some U.S. states, a person who believes a book, film or other work of art is obscene may sue in their own name to have the work banned directly without having to ask a district attorney to do so. In the United States, the current doctrine is that a person cannot bring a suit challenging the constitutionality of a law unless they can demonstrate that they are or will imminently be harmed by the law. Otherwise, the court will rule that the plaintiff lacks standing to bring the suit, and will dismiss the case without considering the merits of the claim of unconstitutionality. Canada. In Canadian administrative law, whether an individual has standing to bring an application for judicial review or an appeal from the decision of a tribunal, is governed by the language of the particular statute under which the application or the appeal is brought. Some statutes provide for a narrow right of standing while others provide for a broader right of standing. Frequently a litigant wishes to bring a civil action for a declaratory judgment against a public body or official. This is considered an aspect of administrative law, sometimes with a constitutional dimension, as when the litigant seeks to have legislation declared unconstitutional. Public Interest Standing The Supreme Court of Canada developed the concept of public interest standing in three constitutional cases commonly called the Standing Trilogy, Thorson v. Attorney General of Canada, Nova Scotia Board of Censors v. McNeil, and Minister of Justice v. Borowski. The trilogy was summarized as follows in Canadian Council of Churches v. Canada, Minister of Employment and Immigration. It has been seen that when public interest standing is sought, consideration must be given to three aspects. First, is there a serious issue raised as to the invalidity of legislation in question? Second, has it been established that the plaintiff is directly affected by the legislation or if not does the plaintiff have a genuine interest in its validity? Third, is there another reasonable and effective way to bring the issue before the court? Public interest standing is also available in non-constitutional cases, as the court found in Finley v. Canada, Minister of Finance. United States In United States law, the Supreme Court has stated, in essence the question of standing is whether the litigant is entitled to have the court decide the merits of the dispute or of particular issues. There are a number of requirements that a plaintiff must establish to have standing before a federal court. 
Some are based on the case or controversy requirement of the judicial power of Article 3 of the United States Constitution, Section 2, Clause 1. As stated there, the judicial power shall extend to all cases, to controversies, the requirement that a plaintiff have standing to sue is a limit on the role of the judiciary and the law of Article 3 standing is built on the idea of separation of powers. Federal courts may exercise power only in the last resort, and as a necessity. The American doctrine of standing is assumed as having begun with the case of Frothingham v. Mellon. However, legal standing truly rests on its first prudential origins in Fairchild v. Hughes, 1922, which was authored by Justice Brandeis. In Fairchild, a citizen sued the Secretary of State and the Attorney General to challenge the procedures by which the 19th Amendment was ratified. Prior to it, the doctrine was that all persons had a right to pursue a private prosecution of a public right. Since then the doctrine has been embedded in judicial rules and some statutes. In 2011, in Bond v. United States, the U.S. Supreme Court held that a criminal defendant charged with violating a federal statute does have standing to challenge the constitutionality of that statute under the Tenth Amendment. Standing Requirements There are three standing requirements. 1. Injury in fact, the plaintiff must have suffered or imminently will suffer injury, an invasion of a legally protected interest that is, a. Concrete and particularized, and, b. Actual or imminent, that is, neither conjectural nor hypothetical, not abstract. The injury can be either economic, non-economic, or both. 2. Causation, there must be a causal connection between the injury and the conduct complained of, so that the injury is fairly traceable to the challenged action of the defendant, and not the result of the independent action of some third party who is not before the court. 3. Redressability, it must be likely, as opposed to merely speculative, that a favorable court decision will redress the injury. Prudential limitations. Additionally, there are three major prudential, judicially created, standing principles. Congress can override these principles via statute. 1. Prohibition of third-party standing, a party may only assert his or her own rights and cannot raise the claims of a third party who is not before the court. Exceptions exist where the third party has interchangeable economic interests with the injured party, or a person unprotected by a particular law sues to challenge the oversweeping of the law into the rights of others. For example, a party suing over a law prohibiting certain types of visual material, may sue because the First Amendment rights of theirs, and others engaged in similar displays, might be damaged. Additionally, third parties who do not have standing may be able to sue under the next friend doctrine if the third party is an infant, mentally handicapped, or not a party to a contract. One example of a statutory exception to the prohibition of third-party standing exists in the key TAM provision of the Civil False Claims Act. 2. Prohibition of generalized grievances, a plaintiff cannot sue if the injury is widely shared in an undifferentiated way with many people. For example, the general rule is that there is no federal taxpayer standing, as complaints about the spending of federal funds are too remote from the process of acquiring them. Such grievances are ordinarily more appropriately addressed in the representative branches. 3. Zone of Interest Test There are in fact two tests used by the United States Supreme Court for the zone of interest. 1. Zone of Injury The injury is the kind of injury that Congress expected might be addressed under the statute. 2. Zone of Interests The party is arguably within the zone of interest protected by the statute or constitutional provision. Recent Development of the Doctrine In 1984, 
the Supreme Court reviewed and further outlined the standing requirements in a major ruling concerning the meaning of the three standing requirements of injury, causation, and redressability. In the suit, parents of black public school children alleged that the Internal Revenue Service was not enforcing standards and procedures that would deny tax-exempt status to racially discriminatory private schools. The court found that the plaintiffs did not have the standing necessary to bring suit. Although the court established a significant injury for one of the claims, it found the causation of the injury, the nexus between the defendant's actions and the plaintiff's injuries, to be too attenuated. The injury alleged was not fairly traceable to the government conduct respondent's challenge as unlawful. In another major standing case, Lujan v. Defenders of Wildlife, 1992, the Supreme Court elaborated on the redressability requirement for standing. The case involved a challenge to a rule promulgated by the Secretary of the Interior interpreting Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act of 1973, ESA. The rule rendered Section 7 of the ESA applicable only to actions within the United States or on the high seas. The court found that the plaintiffs did not have the standing necessary to bring suit because no injury had been established. The injury claimed by the plaintiffs was that damage would be caused to certain species of animals and that this in turn injures the plaintiffs by the reduced likelihood that the plaintiffs would see the species in the future. The court insisted though that the plaintiffs had to show how damage to the species would produce imminent injury to the plaintiffs. The court found that the plaintiffs did not sustain this burden of proof. The injury in fact test requires more than an injury to a cognizable interest. It requires that the party seeking review be himself among the injured. The injury must be imminent and not hypothetical. Beyond failing to show injury, the court found that the plaintiffs failed to demonstrate the standing requirement of redressability. The court pointed out that the respondents chose to challenge a more generalized level of government action, the invalidation of which would affect all overseas projects. This programmatic approach has obvious difficulties insofar as proof of causation or redressability is concerned. In a 2000 case, Vermont Agency of Natural Resources v. United States, 2000, the United States Supreme Court endorsed the partial assignment approach to key TAM relator standing to sue under the False Claims Act, allowing private individuals to sue on behalf of the U.S. government for injuries suffered solely by the government. Taxpayer Standing The initial case that established the doctrine of standing, Frothingham v. Mellon, was a taxpayer standing case. Taxpayer standing is the concept that any person who pays taxes should have standing to file a lawsuit against the taxing body if that body allocates funds in a way that the taxpayer feels is improper. The United States Supreme Court has held that taxpayer standing is not by itself a sufficient basis for standing against the United States government. The court has consistently found that the conduct of the federal government is too far removed from individual taxpayer returns for any injury to the taxpayer to be traced to the use of tax revenues, for example, United States v. Richardson. In Daimler Chrysler Corporation v. Kuno, the court extended this analysis to state governments as well. However, the Supreme Court has also held that taxpayer standing is constitutionally sufficient to sue a municipal government in a federal court. States are also protected against lawsuits by their sovereign immunity. Even where states waive their sovereign immunity, they may nonetheless have their own rules limiting standing against simple taxpayers standing against the state. Furthermore, states have the power to determine what will constitute standing for a litigant to be heard in a state court, and may deny access to the courts premised on taxpayers standing alone. In California, taxpayers have standing to sue for any illegal expenditure of, waste of, or injury to the estate, funds, or other property of a local agency. In Florida, 
A taxpayer has standing to sue if the state government is acting unconstitutionally with respect to public funds, or if government action is causing some special injury to the taxpayer that is not shared by taxpayers in general. In Virginia, the Supreme Court of Virginia has more or less adopted a similar rule. An individual taxpayer generally has standing to challenge an act of a city or county where they live, but does not have general standing to challenge state expenditures. Standing to challenge statutes. With limited exceptions, a party cannot have standing to challenge the constitutionality of a statute unless he will be subjected to the provisions of that statute. There are some exceptions, however, for example, courts will accept First Amendment challenges to a statute on overbreadth grounds, where a person who is only partially affected by a statute can challenge the parts that do not affect him on the grounds that laws that restrict speech have a chilling effect on other people's right to free speech. The only other way someone can have standing to challenge the constitutionality of a statute is if the existence of the statute would otherwise deprive him of a right or a privilege even if the statute itself would not apply to him. The Virginia Supreme Court made this point clear in the case of Martin v. Zero, 2005. Martin and Zero were girlfriend and boyfriend and engaged in unprotected sexual intercourse when Martin discovered that Zero had infected her with herpes, even though he knew he was infected and did not inform her of this. She sued him for damages, but because it was illegal, at the time the case was filed, to commit fornication, sexual intercourse between a man and a woman who are not married, Zero argued that Martin could not sue him because joint tortfeasors, those involved in committing a crime, cannot sue each other over acts occurring as a result of a criminal act, Zisk v. Zisk, 1990. Martin argued in rebuttal that because of the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Lawrence v. Texas, finding that state sodomy law unconstitutional, Virginia's anti-fornication law was also unconstitutional for the reasons cited in Lawrence. Martin argued, therefore, she could, in fact, sue zero for damages. Lower courts decided that because the Commonwealth's attorney does not prosecute fornication cases and no one had been prosecuted for fornication anywhere in Virginia in over 100 years, Martin had no risk of prosecution and thus lacked standing to challenge the statute. Martin appealed. Since Martin had something to lose, the ability to sue Zero for damages, if the statute was upheld, she had standing to challenge the constitutionality of the statute even though the possibility of her being prosecuted for violating it was zero. Since the U.S. Supreme Court in Lawrence had found that there is a privacy right in one's private, non-commercial sexual practices, the Virginia Supreme Court decided that the statute against fornication was unconstitutional. The finding gave Martin standing to sue Zero since the decision in Zisk was no longer applicable. However, the only reason Martin had standing to challenge the statute was that she had something to lose if it stayed on the books. Ballot Measures In Hollingsworth v. Perry, the Supreme Court ruled that being the proponents of a ballot measure is not by itself enough to confer legal standing. In that case, Proposition 8 had banned same-sex marriage in California, a ban that was ruled unconstitutional. The Supreme Court ruled that the proponents of Proposition 8 had no standing in court since they failed to show that they were harmed by the decision. State law. State law on standing differs substantially from federal law and varies considerably from state to state. California. Californians may bring taxpayer actions against public officials for wasting public funds through mismanagement of a government agency, where the relief sought is an order compelling the official not to waste money and fulfill his duty to protect the public fisc. On December 29, 2009, 
The California Court of Appeal for the 6th District ruled that California Code of Civil Procedure Section 367 cannot be read as imposing a federal-style standing doctrine on California's code pleading system of civil procedure. In California, the fundamental inquiry is always whether the plaintiff has sufficiently pleaded a cause of action, not whether the plaintiff has some entitlement to judicial action separate from proof of the substantive merits of the claim advanced. The court acknowledged that the word standing is often sloppily used to refer to what is really jus tertiae and held that jus tertiae in state law is not the same thing as the federal standing doctrine. United Kingdom In British administrative law, an applicant needs to have a sufficient interest in the matter to which the application relates. This sufficient interest requirement has been construed liberally by the courts. As Lord de Plock put it, T. Wood, be a grave danger to escape lacuna in our system of public law if a pressure group, or even a single public-spirited taxpayer, were prevented by updated technical rules of locus standi from bringing the matter to the attention of the court to vindicate the rule of law and get the unlawful conduct stopped. In the law of contract, the doctrine of privity meant that only those who were party to a contract could sue or be sued upon it. This doctrine was substantially amended by the Contracts, Rights of Third Parties, Act 1999 which allows beneficiaries under a contract to enforce it. Almost all criminal prosecutions are brought by the state via the Crown Prosecution Service, so private prosecutions are rare. An exception was the case of White House v. Lemon where Mrs. Mary Whitehouse, a self-appointed guardian of suburban morality, was permitted to bring a private prosecution for blasphemous libel against the publisher of Gay News, Dennis Lemon. Victims of crime have standing to sue the perpetrator and they may claim criminal injuries compensation from the state. If the state fails properly to bring a case, the victim or his family may have standing to bring a private prosecution, as in the case of Stephen Lawrence. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America